Hello, and welcome to this Solace Church podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We pray that God speaks to you today through this message. For more sermon content and information, visit solacechurch.com. Philippians 1, verse 12, Paul writing from a Roman prison cell, says this. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord have become confident by my chains and are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. Kind of the moral of the story in verse 18 is, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. Verse 19, For I know, Paul says, that this, my imprisonment, will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. But with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. Oh, to be Paul and to be torn with this predicament, right? Verse 23, for I'm hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. (laughs) That's so funny. Verse 25, and being confident of this, that I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and not from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his name's sake, for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. Uh, This is the word of God. To which we say, thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for this time and place this morning. Not just because of where we are, but because of the promise about this gathering being from your word. Where you say that when two or more are gathered in your name, you are there in the midst. And we sense you present. We want to sense you present. We ask that you would help us sense your presence, Lord. God, we we thank you for the encouraging words about how you're bringing beauty to brokenness through four kids in South Florida. And now as we um, dig into your word, we invite you to bring your redeeming beauty into our brokenness as well. 
Lord, we are a community of people who have experienced hard things in life, or at least will. And so uh, we pray today that you would equip us with your word through Paul's example, through the words of your spirit, to be able to know what to do, to know how to navigate life when hard things happen. God, it's my prayer and my desire every week that you would speak to us. It's our desire. So I submit my best efforts of a sermon to you. I invite your Holy Spirit to be here and to speak to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this past Christmas, I received one of the greatest gifts that I've gotten in recent years. Um, I know I'm 32 and I shouldn't care this much about Christmas gifts, but um, this was one that I, I couldn't get past. It's one that I'm still enjoying. Um, it was a gift from my sister and father-in-law, and it was a subscription to a website, an online uh, almost curriculum called Masterclass. Anybody familiar with this? Um, maybe you've seen the preview videos haunting you, and like the more you watch them, the more, the more they show up. There's a reason why that happens, okay? But um, I remember being so into the Masterclass kind of thing, which is, I guess I could back up, um, it's basically these really well-crafted videos uh, that are classes um, taught by these experts uh, giving a, a class, a master class on all that they've learned in their particular you know, area of expertise. Uh, and so let me show you kind of a graphic of, of what you'll see if you go to master class, learn from the world's best. Um, you, you know, you can learn comedy from Steve Martin. Um, I've been doing that one. I hope it's working. Um, uh, you can learn guitar from Carlos Santana. If you've ever wondered why Ben is so good, it's actually because he takes the master. No, I'm just kidding. Um, this is one recently I was looking at with my buddy Lee was how to play the ukulele, learning that. He's got one in his house. I'm learning the ukulele. I asked Ben, Ben, is that cool? Can I join the band? He said no, and he walked away. Um, you, know, you can learn skateboarding from Tony Hawk, ball handling from Steph Curry, cooking from Gordon Ramsay, gardening from that guy. I don't remember his name. And, and you, can just, you can just see the, the array of faces up here. Some of them are kind of like, nah, I'll pass. But um, there are some real fascinating ones. And it's, it's weird because I didn't pay for it, but it's the best investment I've ever made, um, which doesn't make sense because it was a gift. But here's what I'm trying to say. It's been so beneficial. Like, I've really enjoyed this. One of my favorite classes that I've been taking recently um, is, you're like, when do you have time, Andrew? Don't you have three kids in a church? Anyway, um, one of my favorites is, it's called The Art of Negotiation, all right? And it's by a hostage negotiator. First of all, you never know when you'll be in that situation, okay? <laughs> so, and secondly, it's like really great life skills about how to positively influence a situation towards a, a better result. Pretty much that's what hostage negotiation is, I guess. Um, and so you're learning all sorts of things about communication and, and all that stuff. And so uh, you might not have known this, but I've been practicing my, my hostage negotiation tactics on every one of you in conversation. Um, just kidding, I'm not that smart and, and intentional. But, um, such an awesome, uh, awesome curriculum. Again, one of the best. So this is a total ad. I'm sponsored by Masterclass, and I'm <laughs> fully endorsing how helpful some of these classes could be. Um, obviously, I'm not going to 100% do that. This is not scripture, you know. It's not, but but super helpful. Why am I asking that? Uh, I thought of this question. I want you to ask yourself this question: uh, If you were to teach a masterclass, what would you teach on? 
What's your area or field of expertise? Maybe right now you're like, well, I'm kind of, I'm not a master yet, but I'm kind of learning this field or, or, or this craft. Um, now, I think if you were to ask the Apostle Paul that question, say, Paul, what, what, this is the question, I have it up on the screen. Paul, what is your area of expertise? Paul, what would you teach your master class on? I think based on what we have through the full volume of Scripture, I think Paul would say this. Here's Paul, the Apostle's master class. What to do when hard things happen. You could say that Paul is an expert in this area. In fact, it's obviously listed here in this passage. Paul is, is writing from a Roman prison cell. Uh, he's giving his own account, his own perspective of what's happened to them as he's writing to the Philippian church as one who's been persecuted and imprisoned for boldly proclaiming the gospel. He's sort of, he's sort of giving his perspective, and in doing so, he's actually giving a master class in, again, this area in which he's certainly an expert. You could say that Paul being in prison here in Rome, likely Rome, it's not Paul's first prison rodeo. It's not the first time, it says that in verse 12, that hard things have happened to Paul. In fact, there's this interesting passage in 2 Corinthians 11 where Paul begins to unpack all the hard things that he's walked through in life. And he kind of gives an account of his ministry. He says, are they ministers of Christ? Speaking of other people, you know, posturing in ministry. He says, I speak as a fool. I am more. That was, was the, the common perspective of the Apostle Paul. This um, upper echelon Pharisee. He, he had gotten to the top of the religious corporate ladder. And he chose to abandon all religious and societal status to pledge allegiance to Jesus. And he was considered a fool for that. But, so he unpacks kind of what he experienced in life, the different things, the hard things he experienced. He says, in, here's his ministry, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently. I love this one. Imagine being able to put this on your resume. In deaths often. It's like, how's your ministry? It's like, I, you know, I've died a few times. Um, there's actually an account where Paul's like stoned, right? You know about that? And like they leave him for dead. And he comes. So he's like, man, it's been dying lately. It's been a blast. And then verse 24, for the Jews, from the Jews, he said, I received 40 stripes minus one. I'll help you out. That's 39. And then in verse 25, he says, these uh, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned by stones. Um, okay, it's important. He says, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, look at this, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen. The key word here is perils, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness. You can eat green eggs and ham in the wilderness, you know, in the city, like everywhere you go. In perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness, in toil, in sleeplessness, often. Motherhood, right? Parenthood. In hunger and thirst, in fastings often, which the idea there is involuntary, like I'm without food, in cold and nakedness. Right? Isn't there a perfect song to play right now that goes, so you had a bad day, right? <laughs> like this is Paul's life. This is Paul's ministry. Bad and hard things happening Yet here in the passage that we just read, where Paul has another hard thing happening, he just seems to be an expert 
in how to navigate life when those hard things do happen. And of course, the key word here, as modeled from the life of Paul and echoed all throughout Scripture, is when, right? This message is not entitled, What to Do If Hard Things Happen. We know Jesus himself promises his followers in John 16, 33, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Hard things will happen. And I think we will be less uh, knocked off our rockers spiritually when we actually expect what Jesus promises here. That this is life. Not just life in Christ. This is life. This is a world where sin has broken down the system of shalom and peace and order and goodness. It's a world where hard things happen, where bad things happen, and especially for those who are in Jesus, especially for those who are following Christ against the flow of the world, against the flow of culture. It's been well said about hard things happening or trials. It's been said this way, that at any given moment, you could say, every person could say, that they are either coming out of a trial, in a trial, or I don't mean to create some fear here, but headed for a trial. I think we could all say, we could probably even just live in the first one. How many of you guys, we always raise our hand, have come out of some hard things in life? I mean, seriously, hard things have happened. Maybe right now, hard things are happening. You're here at church today, and you're you're heavy-hearted. Life has been difficult. And it's just true, reminded by Jesus, that hard things will happen. So... We don't need a subscription today to learn from the Apostle Paul, which is good news. It doesn't, you know, you don't need the Christmas gift. But we get a master class from Paul, knowing that we can expect hard things to happen. Uh, Paul gives us, I mean, they really could take this volume here, this text could really be the source material for whatever that class would be. But what Paul does in this passage, again, is he gives us that master class of what to do when those things happen. And he gives us three specific things. The first thing Paul gives us in his master class of what to do when hard things happen. Write this down, number one. The first thing we saw Paul tell us to do, or rather we saw him model when hard things happen, is this posture and this perspective that looks beyond the why towards the what. When hard things happen, number one, Paul would say, look beyond the why towards the what. Now, it's important to point out there in verse 12 that Paul doesn't undermine the pain of what's coming to him. He does say there in verse 12, but I want you to know, brethren, the things which happened to me, like they're real. Life really hurts. Hard things, um, listen, hard things are not meant to be shrugged off with emotional numbness because we know God's promises. That's not the same thing as persevering. That's not the same thing as trusting in God's word and his promises. A lot of us, we might come from a culture where that's kind of what you do. When hard things happen, suck it up because God works everything together for good. It's like, okay. It's like, first of all, that, uh, not only does that harm your ability to actually walk through the pain that you're walking through, and, and it creates emotional unhealth for you personally to actually, not actually feel the effects that Jesus even felt of sin, but it also, it, it really inhibits us as Christians in our ministry to a hurting world, doesn't it? Like when all we have is answers, but we don't have the ability to weep with those who weep. You with me? 
Like we don't have the ability to actually experience empathy and compassion to say, I feel what, you, what you're feeling. It's legitimate. So, so Paul isn't ignoring the reality that things are happening to them. It's, it's Peter who says in 1 Peter 1, talking to the church, he's like, man, you've been grieved by various trials. Grieving your pain and your trial doesn't make you a weak Christian. I think it makes you a healthy Christian. To actually feel what the thing you're walking through is, is causing you to feel. But I love at the same time, though Paul doesn't ignore what's happening to him, he doesn't let it define the whole story. He says this, The things which have happened to me, being imprisoned, and also that the bad day and the bad life he's had following Jesus. Notice this phrase, They've actually turned out, I love that, for the furtherance of the gospel. Um, it wasn't that Paul didn't maybe wrestle with the why. It's okay to, it, this, notice my point is not look past the why. That's not my point. All right, it's, it's, it is important at times to wrestle with the why question. And, and this is modeled by Jesus himself who on the cross, the sinless son of God is suffering in our place. And even though he has all knowledge, he quotes from Psalm 22 and says, my God, my God. What does he say? Why? Isn't that interesting? I, I just want to submit to you that Jesus knows more theology than anyone, okay? He is theology made flesh. But even Jesus himself displayed this posture of humanity on the cross, quoting from David himself in Psalm 22, bringing, and this is important, bringing the why before God. He brought it there. He brought it before the Lord. So, so, so it's not that we look past it, but it's that we've got to move beyond it. It's healthy to ask the why, but I think one of, our, one of our flaws in our human nature is the assumption that finding the answer to this question is going to solve all my problems. Have you ever thought about that? Like, what if God actually did tell me why? Here's why. Can I tell you, would that help you? Would that make all your pain go away suddenly? Oh, now I know Why? I know why that loved one passed away. Now I know why. And I'm not saying God doesn't give us revelation. God doesn't, we're going to talk about that. But there's, a, there's, there's this almost like fault that we have in our perspective to where we get so stuck on something that has never really provided the solutions that the hope God has given us ultimately does. And so I love this about Paul. He, he, he doesn't look past the why. I imagine there's times where he's wrestling. I don't know. You barely ever see a weak moment from Paul, but... Likely he's wrestling through what he's going through. And if anybody had the right to, it was Paul, right? Like, it's not like he's being punished for his sin. It's not like he's, he's I mean, this is a guy who is who's experiencing hard things because he's been faithful to Jesus. So if anyone had the right at this moment to ask why, it was Paul. But even he was able to look beyond the why. And notice what he, what he points out here. And he was able to see the what. The what, the what God was doing. I, I don't have all the answers as to why this has come into my life. If anything, here's what I found. The why is a trap. Like a lot of us, we're not actually able to experience what God is trying to do through our trial because we're so consumed with how did I get here in the first place? It's like if you're, you've fallen into a pit of your trial, you've fallen into that. Figuring out how, you know, why you got into it is not going to help you out. You know? Why did I get in here? It's like you're in the pit. 
And we can be paralyzed by that retrospective question of how did I get here? Why am I here? What did I do? What's the algorithm? What did I not do right? God, why would you allow this? Paul was able to move beyond that and see this incredible blessing of what God was doing through it. That's where his focus was. Not getting stuck on the why, but being focused on what God was producing. And notice what he says there. He says, through my chains, I love this, it is actually this evil trial. This is a beautiful thing about what God can do even in the most dark of circumstances. There is no difficulty, there is no hardship too hard and brutal and ugly that the redeeming goodness of God's beauty cannot come in and completely change everything. And so Paul says, in my hardship... Things have actually, I love this, turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. He says that it's, it's become evident to the whole palace garden, to all the rest, that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So Paul's like, yeah, I'm in prison. It's not, you know, what I was hoping for. You know, it's not like it wasn't my life goal. Like, let me go to jail for Jesus. But um, here I am. And, and instead of being caught up in how did I get here, why am Look at what God has done through this trial. His eyes were on what God could do. His eyes were focused on what we would call, and this is the word for it. I, I love this expression. It's, I've heard it used a lot today in the church. It's, it's a, a beautiful phrase described as the redemptive edge. God's redemptive edge, God's ability to carve into the darkest parts of life and bring good out of it. In this case, Paul's like, I'm in jail. I'm in prison. But my imprisonment, he uses the phrase, has furthered the gospel. That was the good that God brought out of it. Uh, the word there, furthered, uh, in the Greek, it's a word that describes paving a new road, advancing a new road. Uh, Paul's literally saying, through my trial and hardship, uh, God has been able to, through my hardship, pave the way for good things. That's so cool to think about. He talks about two things. He, he says, first of all, when people ask me, why are you in jail? You know, what are you in for, bro? You know? They're like, oh, no, that's, that's Paul. He's the one preaching Christ. So he's like, so my reproach... It actually brings uh, testimony and a witness to Jesus. And then he says the other way that God has used it is through being in jail, other believers are now more emboldened to, to, to speak the faith without fear because, you know, my courage has encouraged them. It's, it's kind of become contagious. But I love that phrase there again, how it's turned out, how God was able to use the trials in Paul's life to pave the way for good things. What a cool way to think about trials. My trials are pavement. My trials are pavement that are making a way where there wasn't a way without them. What sort of things, I would ask you today, what sort of things with what you're walking through, what sort of things is God doing through it? What is God paving the way for through the hard thing that has happened to you? That's what Paul would lead us to focus on. You know, we get these promises like Romans 8, 28, that we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. That's that redemptive edge. We have Genesis 50 modeled in the life of, of Joseph, who, like Paul, experienced great harm. Great persecution from his brothers. But look at the redemptive edge. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. This is the, the story of Joseph, how his brothers meant for harm, but God used that harm to pave the way to literally save the lives of a civilization. He brought about good through it. So that's the first thing that Paul would lead us to do as we walk through Hard things. When hard things happen, I think Paul would say, 
It's okay to ask God, why did you allow this to happen? It's okay to ask that. It's okay to be human and, and process like Jesus before the Lord. But look beyond. Don't get stuck in the why. Have eyes to be able to see what cannot be seen with just the human eye, but only spiritual eyes that can see the answer to this next question, which is, God, what are you doing through this? Having our focus on that. Um, Paul certainly modeled that. Uh, three specific ways that we can be looking for this. God, what are you doing in me? Great question to ask. When hard things happen, God, what are you doing in me? I don't want to be so focused on why this is happening. God, what are you trying, what are you trying to build and produce in me? What are you, how is this trial paving the way for things in me that wouldn't be in me, that wouldn't be developed in me without this? What are you doing in me? Are you creating a greater level of faith and dependence and trust? God, what are you doing? Here's an interesting one. What are you doing for me? How is this trial actually um, maybe a gift in disguise? Where we rebuke the storm, but it's actually uh, protecting us from greater danger somehow. God, what are you doing for me? And then here's the kind of the thing that Paul focuses on with the hard thing he's walking through. God, what are you doing, seeking to do through me, through this? And here's where Paul says, he goes, man, I'm in prison, but if it wasn't for this hardship... If it wasn't for this hardship, the gospel would not have been advanced as it was. What an what a incredible perspective to have. I think sometimes that's probably the one that we miss the most. Um, we tend to be very, like, indivi- in our Western culture, right, very individual, very self-focused when it comes to my relationship with God and certainly what I'm walking through. But, you know, in Scripture, you, you see this constant principle that a lot of what happens in your life is not just for you. It's not just about you. Maybe it's starting to look at what you're going through and going, God, how are you equipping me to be able to minister in a more effective way because of this? What are you doing through this, through me? I think of Paul in 2 Corinthians when he says that because of the trial we've walked through and the comfort we've received from God in that trial, we're actually able to be greater comforters to those around us. That's what what hardship does. We become more than just know-it-alls. We're actually soldiers on the battlefield with wounds. We're not just you know, theological uh, gun collectors. You know? <laughs> they have all the answers. You know, here's a verse. It's like I've done more than study how Jesus is present in suffering. I've suffered. And I've experienced the grace of his presence. And I can, att- I can bear witness to it through what I've walked through. That, that, that'll help people. Not that giving God's word doesn't, but having that perspective, again, to look beyond the why towards the what. Not just, God, why did you allow this to happen, but, God, what are you doing through this? Man, that was Paul's passion, was the advancement of the gospel, putting himself so second that his trial was a means through which God was going to reach more people. And I love how, like, gung-ho Paul is about this. Like, to him, it's like the gospel going out at all costs, whether it's through me being in prison or he even says, or whether it's through, like, because I'm in prison, other up-and-coming, like, wannabe preachers, get, they now get stage time because I'm not there. And people are like, oh, Paul's in jail. This is our chance to get a following. You know what I mean? Okay, they show up, and they're preaching Christ. And he's like, they're not even preaching Christ because they love people or believe the gospel is the power of God to salvation. They're preaching Christ from selfish ambition. They're ministering not to give but to receive something. And Paul goes, 
Well, at least Christ has preached. I love that. He's like, as long as the gospel is going out. I remember Justin Bieber, man, on, on the uh, VMAs like 10 years ago, giving a shout out to Jesus. I was like, yes, Justin. Didn't you just get arrested last week? But it's like, <laughs> but you know what I mean? I love that. Preaching Christ. I'm a believer. All right. Paul's passion. So what, did, what do you do when hard things happen? Paul's master class. First, look beyond the why. Look towards the what. Let's have eyes to see beyond why the thing is happening. Let's ask God to give us, and that's individual, asking God to give you the eyes to see what is he doing through this. God, I don't want to miss it. Don't want to miss it. The second thing that we would learn from Paul is in this master class is we would learn to look beyond the how towards the who. And I don't mean the who. Um, I mean, Jesus, the who, okay, capital W, who. Notice this next thing he says in verse 10. He said, for I know, notice Paul's confidence. Uh, Paul's in prison, and he has this confidence about how things are going to turn out. This is really cool. I don't know if you've ever been here where you just know how something's going to turn out before it does. Maybe it's a gift of the Spirit. Maybe it's just this, like, gift of faith to have confidence in God's ability greater than anyone around you. And people are like, you're crazy. Like, that's not going to happen. You're like, I'm sorry. I just know. I just know who God is and what he's going to do. Now, notice Paul. He says, for I know, here I am in prison, and I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus. Now, a lot of times, I think there are these overreactions in the church to the gift of faith. And, and I think a lot of times it's because we can see how, how you know, faith without truth can get wonky. It, it can lead people astray. Uh, if if you know, you're just constantly naming it and claiming it, but then it's like when it doesn't happen, are you blaming it? You know what I mean? Like... Well, what, what actually, okay, let me, let me kind of fix that. And I think today there's, there might be these reactions to like, and we all, come on, we all have the friend that like believes God for every miracle, right? Like, I want to be that, by the way. But every miracle, they're like, Paul, man, I know this is going to turn out. You know, like, I know COVID will be gone next month. Like, I had people like that, like, last year, right? Or whatever it may be. I know, I'm, I know God. And, and, and I think there can be this danger to where we're like, oh, my gosh, like, chill with the faith, you know? Like, you know, like, don't you know it's all about God's will at the end of the day? But it's like you look at Paul here, at the same time you're like, doesn't Scripture say that without faith it's impossible to please God? Yeah, yeah God will have his way. God will do his work. But doesn't God call his people to trust him to be big enough to do the impossible? And so here's Paul modeling that. Here he is, and he's in prison, and he has this faith. And I want you to notice what his faith's in. It's really beautiful. He's like, here I am in jail, but I'm confident that with this hard thing, I'm going to be delivered. The idea there is from prison because of your prayers. And he connects it to the supply of the Spirit. What an incredible way to view what prayer really is. Prayer is not just some kind of like surrendering outcomes to the will of God. That There's a truth to that. God, let your will be done. But here Paul is saying that prayer is actually this effective practice. It's not some random activity. It's like, well, why pray if God's going to do whatever he wants, right? Well, because God calls me to trust him. And God wants to wow and build my faith when he shows up when I pray for that thing. 
So here's Paul, and he's like, I'm praying. Here's his view of prayer. You prayed, and because of your prayers, he says, the supply of the Spirit was given. Isn't that awesome? Like, imagine this. Prayer. So is there someone in your life that you need to pray for, that you're praying for? Think about prayer this way. Prayer is literally drawing on the riches and the supply of heaven for that person. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. And th- Paul says, through your prayers, the supply of the Spirit. Like, prayer is not some frivolous, empty activity. Prayer is the practice of accessing the resources of heaven and pulling them down to earth. It's beautiful to think about that. Paul's like, I'm going to be delivered because you prayed. And the supply of the Spirit. He's got this faith to believe in God's ability, to believe that God is God. And that God doesn't have a limited supply of anything. Um, you know, like Home Depot or Lowe's this whole week, man. I've been doing a little reno action. Um, I've been miserable. I've been, like, stuck in my house all week. I took a week off and was just working on the home. Um, and I just have to confess and repent of how cranky I got, like, doing home projects. Um, I love you, babe. Um, <laughs> uh, on Saturday, Brit was like, I'm going to... I'm going to take the kids out of the house to give you some space to work, which was really like, let's get out of the house, okay? <laughs> I went and played spike ball with the boys <laughs> instead. What a guy. Um, but, you know, one of the most frustrating things this week about uh, the project I was doing was there wasn't one store that carried the full volume of the supply that I needed. Like, every store maybe had 8% of what I needed. So I went to probably, I don't know, seven to eight different hardware stores. Sometimes I would go back twice. Like They're like, hey, Andrew, he's back. Like They started to get to know me. And, and, and it was this experience where I had to kind of jump around because there was, again, think about it, there was this limited supply. A lot of times we might think that way with God. We kind of think, yeah, I'll pray, but you know, God, you know, he, only, he only has so much that he can do. There's only so much power he has. And so I'll kind of, okay, God, then I'll kind of move on. But here's Paul seeing prayer as this, practice of accessing the unlimited supply of heaven. He goes, through your prayers and the supply of the Spirit, I'm going to be delivered. But notice this. This is huge. When it comes to Paul's faith, when the hard things were happening to him, he was able to look. This is important. Though Paul believed God for the how, for how it would turn out, Paul ultimately trusted in the who. Trusted in God at the end of the day. He says this. uh, Look at this verse in its context. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance and through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed. Like, he's like, this is working out. There's going to be no shame at the end of the day. Just as I believed God, he's going to come through. Key verse here. Ready for this? But. But with all boldness as always. So now also may Christ be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. This reminds me a little bit of our homeboys in the Old Testament, our guys Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refused to bow down to the chocolate bunny. And, oh wait, sorry, those veggie tales. Um, we know the story, right? The big altar in Babylon, it was a symbol of worship. It was a symbol of accessing divine favor from the gods. But these three, these three 
uh, God-fearing Jewish boys that were led away captive to Babylon, they refused to bow down. They were the only ones that refused to bow down to the cultural idol. And as a result, they were persecuted. As a result, they were threatened. Their lives were threatened. The consequences of their actions would be that they would be thrown into a fiery, blazing furnace. Now, you know what happens, right? In the end, Jesus, another one, there's another in the fire, right? Another one showed up. Jesus himself, a Christophany of the appearance of Christ in the Old Testament, is present with them in the fire. But notice this. Before that ever happened, this is so beautiful. This is the NLT. If we are thrown, this is what they say to the king. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve, he he is able to save us. That's Paul, right? Through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit, I'm getting delivered. Because God is able, because there's nothing too hard for him. He's a God of miracles. He will rescue us from your power. Like, notice the confident faith, your majesty. But notice this. But even if he doesn't. We want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold stature which you have set up. You see, this is Christian maturity, being able to look beyond the how towards the who. And I want to say this. I think today we have, when it comes to trials and prayers and the miraculous and the impossible, and I'm in a hardship and I'm praying that God delivers me, um, I think of of one of the longest trials I walked through when when I was 20 years old. My mom was dying of breast cancer and laboring in prayer, laboring, praying for the supply of the Spirit. I just, there, there's times where we're in that. And I think what we can do today is we can create this false dichotomy of faith where we say faith is either believing God for the impossible or faith is being okay with whatever happens. And Paul, the three Jewish boys in Babylon, what they model is that it's both. Faith is this, in my trial, and when hard things happen, faith is, God, there is nothing too hard for you. I'm bringing my prayer request to you. But I'm looking beyond the how you're supposed to do it. I believe that you can. I believe that you will. Here's faith, though. But even if you don't, even if I'm not delivered, even if my mom passes away, even if things don't turn out and pan out the way that I believed God to bring them, here's real faith. You're faithful. You're good. You're worthy of my whole life. You're worthy of my whole trust. So Shane and Shane has this song where they sing, burn us up. <laughs> we give our lives in surrender to the goodness of God. God, I believe you. Imagine that, that we as a people, we would, we would be those that we don't just like when hard things happen, we don't just kind of like passively go, oh, whatever happens, happens. It's up to the will of God. Nor do we say, well, it's all up to the faith of me. It's all me. But we live in that healthy tension that Paul lived in that those young boys lived in, that says, God, you're able to do the impossible, but I'm not closing my fists in how how you have to work. My faith is not in just a how, it's in you. It's in a who. It's in your character. So I surrender it to you. That's the way to pray. Big faith surrendered back to God, trusting in his faithfulness. Amen? Let's close with this last one. And this is, um, you know, third point, you start to struggle with coming up with creative things. So you're, you're going to notice that there for number three. Um, who, what, where, when, how, why? Um, there's intention here, I promise. Look beyond the where. Is that a typo? No. Towards the where. 
The reason why Paul is able to say, man, no matter what happens in my life, whether by life or by death, whether I die in this prison or I'm delivered from this prison, what Paul says is, it's all good at the end of the day. Christ is going to be magnified in my, in my body. He says this famously, Paul says, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Isn't that beautiful? Like, this is why Paul was so annoying to his enemies. There's nothing you could do to the guy. It's like, what are you going to do? Like, we're going to put you in prison. He's like, oh, cool, I'll just sing hymns and the walls will fall down. Right? We're going to torture you. Paul was tortured. He's like, great, I get to fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. I was running low, appreciate it, you know. We're going to kill you. He's like, really? Thank you. Uh, to die is gain, man. You, I get to go to heaven? All right. We're going to let you go. Perfect, I'll keep preaching. <laughs> to live is Christ. Like, what an unstoppable force, right? What could you do to this guy? Listen, you can't harm someone whose hope is not contingent upon their circumstances. You can't harm someone whose hope is settled once and for all in a place where it's untouchable. And that was Paul, man. Paul was able to look beyond the where. Let's unpack this now so this actually starts to make sense. Paul was able to look beyond where he was at circumstantially. To have eyes to see where he was at spiritually. To see where he was at eternally. Paul saw himself not just as a, as a Jewish citizen of Rome. Paul saw himself as a Christ-following citizen of heaven. And heaven was always on his mind. There, there's something about a mindfulness of heaven. The hope of the fact, listen, and I know man, maybe one day we can unpack heaven a little bit more. I've been thinking a lot about uh, heaven lately. Um, I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing. But, um, but, but just genuinely, my wife and I, we love to have conversations about heaven as we have our loved ones that have passed on. And they can kind of become this ethereal thing. And you're like, man, I saw all dogs go to heaven. Is that the same thing? Like, it can be very, like, even like bye-bye pie in the sky, but when scripture talks about our heavenly hope, it doesn't just go to this place that we reside in a disembodied form. It, it talks about the hope of heaven and earth being reunited one day again. Just like the Garden of Eden, where there will be a new heavens and a new earth. Where, where listen, hard things will no longer happen. No more foster care in heaven. No more divorce in heaven. No more addiction in heaven. No more your sin struggle in heaven. No more affliction and trial. And, and Paul, it's like what drove this guy through wherever he was, was where he was headed at all times. There's something about that heavenly perspective that's fuel in your tank, man. And, and Paul was constantly encouraging the church about this. In Colossians 3.1, he says, If you then were raised with Christ, seek those things which, which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. We do ourselves a lot of harm when we limit the story of our lives to just our lives. We do ourselves a lot of good when we, when we begin to see what we're walking through, as large as it may be, as big as it may be. Can I, can I tell you, like 2020, it's this infamous year, it's so bad. In eternity future, 2020 will be gone. 
Just the glory of Jesus. Just the renewal of all things. Just the obliteration of cancer. Just the hope of the gospel realized by all God's people. Something about setting our minds on that. I love this verse. Look what Paul says in Romans 8. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, they're not worthy to be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed. Think about that. Maybe right now you're like, the suffering in my life, it's just so difficult. It's so hard. It's so large because nothing else even comes close to it. Maybe you're like, there's not enough glory in my life to compare. Life is just way more hard than it is easy. Paul's like, get your eyes on heaven then. Where the glory that's going to be revealed and makes the sufferings of this world just feel like what Paul says, just a present moment, a momentary affliction, a momentary suffering. There's something about that eternal perspective that Paul had that caused him to walk through what he went through with great faith and with great confidence. Um, and I think it's important, I'll invite the band to come out as we close out here. I think it's important to point out that Paul's heavenly mindset, this idea, um, this is really important. It didn't cause him to disengage from where he was at presently. Like um, a lot of like our theology even might lead us to have like an escapist view of heaven. Like I'm heavenly minded, which basically means I can just avoid all the problems on earth because I'm going to heaven. It's like that's that's not what heavenly mindedness does. So you see Paul here, right? And he's like, man, I I, I would love to depart and be with God. It would be much better than this prison cell. Just you know. Like doing a, an analysis there, and I think that the courts of heaven are much better than the prisons of Rome, you know, much better. He goes, but it's, it's better for you if I'm here because I have a heavenly purpose. That's beautiful. And then he goes on, we read at the end of the verse there, he goes on to call the church to conduct themselves as citizens of heaven, you know. There's this expression about Christians, that Christians are uh, too heavenly minded. You ever heard this? That they're no earthly good. And maybe a flawed view of what the kingdom of heaven is has produced that. Where we're just like thinking about, okay, when do I get raptured? When do I get out of this dump? You know? It's like, you're here for a reason. You're here because you have a heavenly, you don't just have a heavenly destination. You have a heavenly purpose. You're a citizen of heaven. You're walking through what you're walking through for a purpose. There's people to reach. There's neighbors to love. There's ministry to be done. The heavenly mindset doesn't just make me disengage. It causes me to re-engage with a greater sense of calling and drive and mission. So, the Apostle Paul. Master class with the Apostle Paul. Call now for a 50% discount for your subscription. No, this is free. This is better than anything you can get on Masterclass. Better than a hostage negotiator class, even. <laughs> what do you do? What do you do when hard things happen? Where are your eyes? Where are, you where are you focused? Are they in the why or are they in God? What are you doing? Is it in how, you, how it has to turn out? And God is only faithful if it turns out this way? Or is it a balance between God? You're able to do the impossible. But even if you don't, you are God. My hope is in you and your character that doesn't change. And lastly, is your focus just where you're at circumstantially? But do you have eyes to see the hope you've been given of heaven? 
that is not just there one day, but it's here. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is among you. It's in you. It's through you. What to do when hard things happen. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in. We pray that you were blessed by today's message. If you'd like to visit us in person, we gather at Don Estridge High Tech Middle School in Boca Raton, Florida, every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more sermon content and information, you can check out solaschurch.com.